Election Day USA 2020, where we hope you get out and vote. But we know you don't want to talk about that right now. We understand and we hope that you are here to talk some football because that's what we got for you today. We lead off with Jets and Giants and it's a new top 10 list. Who's on top? Let's find out right now. This is Downtown Sports. I am the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. This is Downtown Sports. This is where sports come home. Beast, it's election day. You voted, right? Of course. Every Good. American, I hope, has voted. Yes, today, seriously. The fate, today, the fate of America is determined. Literally. I mean, no matter who you support, everybody seems to think that this election is going to be the end of the world. Look outside in New York. It's a bright, sunny day outside. I'm confident that my candidate's going to win. I'm blessing myself as we speak. We hope I'm not saying who I support. I think if you've listened to the show, you figured that out a while ago. But whoever you support, get out there and vote. Okay? Yes. Seriously, this will be released before most polling places close. Get out there and vote. No matter what you think, no matter what you feel, that's your responsibility. Because if you don't vote and what you don't want happens, can't say nothing about it. Well, if you're a Giants fan now, here's what needs to happen. Based on what you saw last night, Giants were in control of the game. They were ruling time of possession. They had the Buccaneers on their heels. They got two touchdowns late in the first half. They were getting the ball to start the third quarter. Daniel Jones was moving the ball. And then and a Giant fans were waiting for something. Giant fans were maybe starting to say, this could be the game that Daniel Jones finally proves us wrong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then an mm -hmm. interception. No. And the next drive, another interception. Yep. And the critical mistakes for Daniel Jones came up again. Critical spot. And the Giants end up falling 25-23. Now, that first interception in the beginning of the second half, you know that came off a return where they got to the 45-yard line? 45-yard line. Mm-hmm. We were practically at mid-freaking-field. And then Daniel Jones just decides, look, let me not throw it to Slayton, who has already burned his – the guy who was matched up on him. I forgot who it was. But no, no, no. He's eyeing Sterling Shepard so hard. And all the Bulls corners have been doing all night long is trying to read Daniel Jones' passes. If you've watched that game, there are so many, so many points where – they were reading where Jones was going to go, but Jones threw the ball right in where it needed to go. In those last couple of minutes, and, and that last drive before the Golden Tate touchdown, those passes to Sterling Shepard were big. You had, a, you had a fourth and 16. Jones hit him for 20. He then hit him for 10 on the next drive. And then, you know, Jones was moving things quick. That's the yeah. thing with him. He's got that clutch gene in him. I, he steps up when he needs to step up. I mean – Look at the whole entire Giants team. They got up to play, John, to play Tom Brady. Jason Pierre-Paul was talking about how he was going to knock Daniel Jones' head off. The O-line responded. Look at what the O-line did. 
They held back the Dominican Sioux and Jason Pierre-Paul. That was the best game I've seen that offensive line play. Alfred Morris just brought up from the practice squad that day. That day, meaning he did not practice with first team at all. Brought up from practice squad. Look at what he did in the first half. Look at what the offensive line did in the first half. They established the tempo of the game. And Daniel Jones benefited. He was throwing slants. There was a stat at the beginning of the second half that they put up. When Daniel Jones released the ball within two seconds of getting it, he was 10 for 13 for all of his yardage in the first half. Another thing Jones is good, and I've noticed this about it, and I was hearing it on the, uh, the game last night. Jones is very good at disguising plays, like faking a handoff, yes. faking the, this route in, then he just runs out of nowhere. You know, he not has- many quarterbacks have that talent. It's just, you know, but again, the turnovers. Yeah, have to be what frustrate anyone. I mean, Mark Sanchez did this had the same problem. Great quarterback, did a lot of great things, but turnovers. Let me tell you something. Only one quarterback in history got away with that, and that was Brett Favre. That was the only one you will ever see get away with that because nobody could do what Brett Favre could do. The reason Brett Favre got picked off is because he threw into triple coverage because he still thought he could get the receiver. And by the end of his career, you know, when his arm didn't have that same zip, obviously he regressed. But when he was at Green Bay on top of his game, just bullet after bullet after bullet, it didn't matter. You could have four people on the receiver. Favre would throw it right where only the receiver could get it. Not many quarterbacks have that talent. Daniel Jones has the ability to fit those windows, but he trusts it too much. The problem with him is he thinks he could do any play possible. He thinks he has to extend every single play. The talent is there. But like I said, it's as if he was losing his intelligence. The execution, though, is what lacks. That's the problem. I've said it in previous weeks and in rants screaming about this guy that he should be on the next bus back to Duke. Maybe not, but you, the turnovers have to stop. It doesn't matter how dynamic of a player you are. If you fumble and throw interceptions every single game, there is still not one game Daniel Jones has played where he has not made a turnover. Now, you compared him to someone. uh, You know, we we talked about this before we came on today. Mm -hmm. You compared him to a 2.0 version of Carson Wentz. Yep, all the God-given ability. Wentz, like – he was like interviewed by Michael Irvin and he yes. said, and he asked about him. Uh, what, what was it he said about him? Uh, Michael Irvin asked Carson Wentz a question. Now I got this information by listening to an interview that Michael Irvin was doing on a certain radio station. Um, basically what happened was this. Michael Irvin asked Carson Wentz a very important question. He said to Carson, you know, you got all this God given ability. When, how do you determine And when do you determine when it's time to use the gifts that God gave you or when it's time to make the smart football play and throw the ball away? Carson's response, according to Michael Irvin, really irked him. And I think Daniel Jones has this problem. Carson said, that is going to be 
the biggest battle I have in my career. Knowing when to throw the ball away versus when to try to extend the play was basically the Q&A between Wentz and Irving. When I heard that, my mind immediately went to Daniel Jones. And I was watching the game with a new set of eyes, this Tampa game, because, you know, this was going to be a test for Daniel Jones. Did he pass it? Yeah, but with like a D. I mean, he knew how to time those blitzes. Now, Jones gets blitzed more than any other quarterback in the league because the Giants' O-line is usually as porous. So, but now that you established a running game, they were able to block. They were able to, you know, push forward. But then there were certain plays where Daniel Jones was extending a play to try to hit Sterling Shepard, ignoring Slayton. On the two interceptions, Slayton beat his man on a go route. Both of those could have been touchdowns. Beat his man on a go route. Both of them could have been touchdowns if Daniel Jones would have checked his other receivers. But does Daniel Jones really have trust in those other receivers? It seems like only Slayton is the guy that he likes to throw to. And, you know, Shepard, he'll... It was Slayton twice that burned his guy! It was Slayton twice on a go-route. I know that wasn't the play, but look! How about the tight ends actually stop staring at the ball going through their hands and almost allowing it to get picked off? Just ask Evan Ingram when he had a ball in his hand, and he's very lucky the, the Bucks didn't pick that off. There were a couple of other near interceptions. Jones could have easily had four picks in this game, let alone two. By the way, the two-point conversion at the end of the game was also Daniel Jones's fault. That yeah, ball should have went to the pie line. Should have been a penalty. That ball should have went to the pie line. That was a perfectly run play. But Jones threw it too late, and he threw it wrong. I don't know why you throw on the inside of that route. I don't know why you throw that route late and on the inside of it. After that big drive. I mean, look, I understand. Touchdown catch to that. He had like a very similar touchdown to that very play that could have happened on a two-point conversion, and that one, Jones did make that throw. He makes the throws. And then he doesn't make the throws. It's the inconsistencies with him. And then it's also the fact that the interceptions that he throws are so unnecessary, especially considering when you look at the tape, this Slayton beating the buck corners. Todd Bowles got away with two touchdowns. There were two touchdowns that were left off the board because Daniel Jones didn't see Slayton beat his guy. I'd be very curious if Daniel Jones as Carson Wentz already did, if he were to sit down with Michael Irvin and if Daniel Jones says the very same things Carson Wentz said to, what was it he, uh, Wentz said, I don't know how to. It's hard for me. That's the biggest battle I'm going to have in my career, determining when to use my God-given abilities versus throw the ball away or give up on the play. Well, at how long? Because what, he has the ability and Jones has it. I mean, look. 80-yard getting tackled by Casper the Friendly Ghost aside. He has the athletic ability. I, I think he has some of the best athletic ability the Giants have ever seen at the quarterback position. We've never seen an athlete like this behind our line. Well, Carson Wentz now is at the time where he's kind of out of excuses right now. Carson Wentz has been in the league now for four years. 
Daniel Jones is only in his second year. I know. It's, it's still too early to say. I mean, yeah, this is the first full season Jones is actually starting because he did come in in the middle of last year. But yeah. by the third I, – I always did it like this when I evaluate quarterbacks. The first year, you got to expect mistakes from your quarterback. They're not going to be perfect the first year. Second year, okay, yeah, you're still going to see little bits here and there. But by the second year, you'd hope the quarterback improves. And then by the third year, no more excuses. Like by the third, fourth year, if you're still making the same mistakes, you're damaged goods, you're a lost cause. That's how I look at it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing to me. If Trevor Lawrence is such a generational talent that everybody says he is, that teams should be tanking for him, except for the Giants, that doesn't make sense to me. Why are the Giants the only team that shouldn't be tanking for Lawrence? Is Daniel Jones supposed as good as Trevor Lawrence? Because that's, that, that's what the sports world seems to think. Like, if the Jets have a Sam Darnold and they're still going to tank for Lawrence, and what are the other teams that are tanking for Lawrence? Possibly the New England Patriots with Cam Newton? Well, the Jets have to play New England this coming Monday night. So that should be a very interesting matchup. And I'm very curious to see what Bill Belichick is going to pull in this one. Think he will try to lose the game on purpose? Uh, you could hit that runner in from second on the next segment, but let's finish off this thing with Daniel Jones really quick. Here's the thing. Why is it that every other team who has one or two wins is tanking for Lawrence and yeah, they're trying to see, Oh, what's the competition to get Trevor Lawrence. Except everyone seems to think that the giants are immune, that they don't have that problem, that Daniel Jones is the quarterback. Well, I'm curious. If they, I don't understand the thought process, John. I'm curious if Dave Gettleman thinks the same way. I'm curious. He if the, does. He does. The Giants organization is sold on Daniel Jones. And the media seems to be sold on him, too. And I don't get it. I really don't get it. I think Sam Darnold is a better quarterback than Daniel Jones is. If Darnold had better pieces around him with a coach that had – any sort of sense, he'd be a lot better than he is right now. I think whatever team gives Sam Darnold his second chance is going to be happy. Well, if you're a Jet They're going to get a real player. If you're a Jet fan, it doesn't help that Jameson Crowder's been hurt, Paramount's nope. been hurt. Nope. Have any of Sam Darnold's wide receivers this year, have they all been healthy at once this year? Any of them? And no. I have a better question. No. Why does Adam Gaze keep putting them in positions to get hurt and injured by calling plays that defenses seem to be able to read like a children's storybook? Your guess is as good as mine, man. I don't uh, get either. But, but look, somehow the Giants don't need Trevor Lawrence. But Trevor Lawrence is going to fix all that with the Jets, right? But somehow the Giants don't need him. That's the thing that shocks me. So it begs to me to think if the Giants don't think Trevor Lawrence is as good as Daniel Jones is Trevor Lawrence actually that good he plays in a poop conference I mean maybe he's had one loss in Clemson and he looks really good when he plays but the only loss you know that his only loss was in the title game to Joe Burrow true you know that, right that was his only loss all year but they say that He's better than Burrow, right? Yeah, well, if Lawrence had been in the same class, he would have gone ahead of Burrow. Burrow would not have been the number one draft pick. True. But would not have gone in this draft, probably. He would have been True. ahead of Tua. Okay. And did, okay. You take Tua, and did you see Tua in his first NFL game? He barely did anything. Now, 
beast. Yes. You've been saying like everybody's saying like he he's this savior, but somehow somehow the Giants don't need him. Well, that's because I mean I've seen the last couple of weeks though he's been turnover prone. I know that ownership. That's because ownership is making you think that way. Ownership's telling you, guys, it's fine. Daniel Jones just he's only two years in the league. He's gonna get better. You just have to give him time. You know, I mean, I'd agree with that. Time, you know, blah, blah, blah. No. Look, I'd agree with that, except for the fact that there is some supposedly the next uh Peyton Manning, Andrew Locke, that they're using all these names to describe Trevor Lawrence. They're saying that he is the new that he is the new Gen Z quarterback, that he is like kid that's gonna be what defines what quarterback play is. They're saying he's a Tom Brady type talent. Like, I don't understand how the Giants could possibly just think that he's not. I don't know. You got to explain to me how Daniel Jones is a better option than Trevor Lawrence because nobody in the Giants seems to think so. All right, well, here's, I, uh, I think we should tank for Lawrence. But here yeah. I'm reading. I'm going to read this one little piece. This is going to be the last thing we'll say before we uh, end this piece. This is written uh, from. 24-7 sports. This is from the words of Daniel Jeremiah. There really isn't a comparison for Lawrence because of his unique measurables and athleticism. However, if you look at every current starting NFL quarterback, I believe he compares most favorably to a man who preceded him at Clemson, Deshaun Watson. He says he sees a lot of Deshaun Watson in Trevor Lawrence. Both players have lean athletic frames. They're both capable of making winning plays from inside and outside the pocket. Both drive the ball effectively, and they share competitiveness that's obvious on tape. While they are effective runners, they find success on the ground in different ways. Watson is more elusive, while Lawrence has more pure speed. Very interesting comparison there. Comparing him to and Dishon. that seems to be what everybody says about Dan- Danny Dime. Hmm. Athleticism like that. Athleticism like uh, his speed, his strength, his frame. He's bigger for a quarterback that does the things he does. He has freakish speed for his size. This is the last bit I'm going to read here from that Daniel Jones. This is from the Draft Network when they talked about what he has and what, what his good and his bads are. Arm accuracy. Throw some nice lasers in the shallow areas of the field. Timing is pretty solid to hit guys in stride in the three-step game. Lots of wild passes down the field, struggles to throw into the bucket. His general accuracy to the sidelines won't inspire on back shoulders. Okay, that's his arm accuracy. That's just that. Okay, now the big one, decision-making. Pretty wild ride when you ask him to hold the ball in the pocket. Really like his skills to dissect zones and soft coverage inside of 10 yards. Misreads deep safeties and doesn't show a lot of anticipation of a defender who can sink or won't be held to zone. That's decision-making anticipation keep him inside of 15 yards and he'll be just fine knows how to find soft spots and covers and throw them into them in rhythm but asking him to take seven step drops and dissect vertical coverage is a losing proposition as things stand now arm strength can push the ball with plenty of force when he's tall in the pocket and comfortable with his surroundings can throw some awkward lollipops when he's looking to throw with touch no problems with zipping ropes into the mof within 20 yards Lots loses lots of force when off platform. So he's Vinny Testaverde with a strong arm with no deep ball. And yet somehow 
No one's thinking about possibly getting that number one pick to get Trevor Lawrence on this giant team. Where I think he would actually be the difference maker because the Giants seem to have the O-line put together. They seem to have the coaching staff. They definitely have the skill players between Morris, Freeman, Gallman, Barkley. They, they, they have a glut of running backs at this point. Yep. Now, they have the- wideouts. They have a defense. Now, here are the last bit of notes here with, with Jones. Who does he compare to? They compare him to Tannehill. They say he's very Tannehill-like. His best trait is a quick game. His worst trait is arm accuracy beyond 10 yards. And reading vertical coverages. For example, Slayton beating his guys on go routes. Instead, throwing two interceptions, trying to force the ball to Shepard within 15 yards. And here's the last piece. Daniel Jones projects as a potential starter. This is obviously from before he got drafted. But he's not going to be a universal prospect. Jones needs to work in an offense that is predicated on dispersing the football quickly out of his hands and allows for a lot of rhythm work. Jones's work under pressure is also of concern, so he'll need to work behind an established, effective O-line if he's going to reach his ceiling. Scheme-dependent but starter qualities. So he is dependent on schemes, but he has the ability to start. So Pat Shermer drafted Daniel Jones because his scheme fit Daniel Jones' skill set. He never wanted Eli to ever throw a deep ball, hence why Eli was relegated to the bench. And Daniel, he wanted Daniel Jones to run a West Coast style, no bigger than 10-yard pass, play action, run offense that has an offensive line that is constantly moving. Well, the insider look right there at Daniel Jones, what we need to know about him. And I'm wondering, and you're wondering, John, you don't think Daniel Jones is the quarterback of this team. You don't but think- somehow, but somehow the Giants don't need to go draft Trevor Lawrence. Somehow the Giants don't need the number one pick. Somehow the Giants don't need to secure themselves the number one pick. Maybe they're just hyping up Daniel Jones so they can trade for the number one pick. I don't know. The problem is Daniel Jones is not Trevor Lawrence. Yet the Giants seem to think that Daniel Jones is better. Gettleman, I don't know. Joe Judge loves him. Look, Daniel Jones is a good kid. He plays hard. He's got a clutch gene in him. I'm not saying he doesn't. But he's working with Jason Garrett. It's week eight, and the turnovers aren't gone. He missed Slayton twice. Where the Giants go from here, they play the Washington football team this week, the only team that they've beaten this year. And I mean barely beat them. Will this be another win for the Giants? I hope not. I hope Haskins has the best game of his career. They're not even playing Haskins right now. They're playing Kyle Allen. They're not even starting Haskins no more. I hope Allen has the best game of his career. Or Alex Smith has the best game of his career. I, I, I hope somebody does well because uh, my team got Trevor Lawrence. It'd be a lot, lot better. Well, the sweepstakes for Trevor Lawrence, we're halfway to see who will go after the Clemson product in round one with the first pick in the coming draft. But on that note, let's take a little break. When we come back, we have our NFL top 10, courtesy of our statistician, Crystal Large. A lot has changed in the eighth week of this season. We'll tell you what changes are on this top 10 and more back after this. 
And we're back to downtown sports on the mouth of the South. John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. But before we get into anything else, we left the runner on second. We have to talk about the latest Jets debacle, the latest episode of Gaze Can't Coach of Eyes Wide Shut, starring Adam Gaze and Sam Darnold. We have a downtown 180 with the Beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. Beast, take it away. Jets. Another game, another loss. You fell to Kansas City. Uh, I'll actually say this shockingly. You only lost 35-9. to Honestly, I was predicting a lot worse as a Jet fan. Really. And you know what's sad about it? Patrick Mahomes let you hang around a little bit. I don't know if he felt a little sorry for Sam Darnold. I don't know if maybe he... You know, maybe, I don't know if maybe he, after the game, went down to Sam and said, kid, feel sorry for you. Maybe Le'Veon Bell had a few words with him after the game. I feared Le'Veon Bell was going to be a factor, but he wasn't, thank goodness. But the glaring problems, again, for this Jet team are evident. Jets were in the game early. The first three drives the Chiefs scored, the Jets scored. Only difference was Chiefs got touchdowns, Jets got field goals. And then whatever momentum the Jets had in the second half, gone. Three and outs. Darnold forgetting to throw the ball a little deeper down the field. Again, throwing the bubble screens. Jets trying to run the ball with Gore. It was back to the same old Gase. I don't even want to say same old Jets anymore now. That's just a forgotten footnote now. It's same old Gase. Every single week, it's the same old Gase. If... This is not evident that Gase's time in, as a New York Jet coach should be over. I don't know why he has not been fired yet. I don't know why the Johnsons want to wait till the end of the year. Whoever the Jets decide to bring in to coach this team, whoever it is, I'm praying it's the right decision. I hope we saw the coach for the Jets who was standing right across from the aisle in Eric Bieniemy. I would rather see him coach this football team and really bring Sam Darnold with the weaponry that he needs. Because right now, it's sad. I can't remember the last time the Jets scored a touchdown. I can't remember the last time the Jets could even engineer a consistent drive for a whole 60-minute game. As a Jet fan today, I would just feel like if I had a season ticket right now, I would want to just go to my fireplace char it to an extra 350 degrees maybe maybe barbecue my marshmallows over them i don't know it's just depressing right now it's really depressing for any jet fan we deserve better we deserve better jet fans if the jets get trevor lawrence they better get a coach that can bring up to his strengths if Adam Gase is still there, do you think do you think Trevor Lawrence is going to stay? Do you think he's going to want to go to the Jets? He'll pull an Eli. Pray, Jet fans. Pray. That was your downtown sports 180. And now to depress Jet fans even more. I'm predicting two wins for the Jets this season. You're thinking they will get two wins this year. Are you out of your mind? Not at all. You'll know. You'll hear why. 
the sports world is going to blow up over this. I swear to God, once we say it about a week later after uh, Sunday, we're going to hear this. The two wins the Jets will get will be against the New England Patriots, and then the New England Patriots will have the number one pick in the NFL draft and draft Trevor Lawrence. If you don't think that Belichick wouldn't purposely throw those games to keep the Jets from getting the next transitional quarterback, the next transcendent talent, then I don't know. He deflated footballs. He's spied on people. If you you don't think that he's not willing to tank to get Lawrence and, I mean, really throw those games – I'm, I'm reading some articles. People are beginning to kind of believe my point a little bit. Bill Belichick didn't make New England. Tom Brady did. And it's getting evident every single week. Brady's not there. You see the difference with Brady there, how different the Patriots play. It's there. It shows. Well, Belichick seems to have a plan B, which is get Trevor Lawrence. He won't even tell you. You'll, you. I'm sure people are going to start asking him that as we go. And the Patriots are climbing up that draft board every single week. You don't think uh, Bill Belichick realizes that the division is a lost cause for him, that even if he were to get in the playoffs, he's not going to win a Super Bowl. He doesn't have the talent around any quarterback. You know, his receivers are all undrafted. We'll have a quick I mean, look at somehow, this. somehow – Bill Belichick thought that he could have a bunch of undrafted guys around Cam Newton, and that was going to be good enough. But you know. I have here on my board the Tankathon. The Tankathon, ladies and gents. Teams with the worst records from first to all the way at the bottom. And uh, New England currently has the ninth pick in the draft at this yep. point. If we were to start today, New England has the ninth pick. There the Jets are, number one at 0-8. Giants right there, number two. Jaguars at number three. Why don't we find out who the top 10 teams in the NFL are? Let's start that clock. Before we do, let me just mention where our listeners can hear us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should do that. We are. Yeah. Well, we're doing it now. We're on 10 different platforms. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and Bullhorn. 10 different platforms every Tuesday, Wednesday with Ransom Live episodes every single week. And uh, next week, programming note, we're going to find out what's going on with the New York Mets, the ownership, and all that. Wayne Randazzo should be joining us next Tuesday, so yes, stay tuned for that. Mets officially now, Steve Cohen officially now has the ownership of this Met team. It's been approved by the, N- by the MLB owners. The mayor also had to approve of it. Thank goodness he did. The Mets hopefully are heading in a different direction. We're going to get – we're going to get into all of that next week, but we got a top 10 to get to, Beast. Yep. So let's begin. want to thank our statistician, Crystal Large, for sending us this newly updated top 10. Uh, definitely some changes in order. Definitely did switch it around. We'll begin with the number 10 team, and it's the L.A. Rams at number 10. So, my, have they fallen. <laughs> yep. I mean, look, Jared Goff might Jared not Goff. be the answer in L.A. You think Jared Goff is the uh, a better improved Daniel Jones who also turns the football over himself? Jones is very Goff is as turnover prone as Jones. Yeah, that's the point. He can be on and off. He can have a great game. He can have a crap game. But I'll tell you something: when Goff has great games, they don't look as good as Daniel Jones's good games. But the key is, 
he has weapons that he can throw the ball to. And he's in a better yeah. system down there. Oh, yeah. yeah. So some of those mistakes are not terrible that you can get away with it. The reason Daniel Jones' mistakes are so bad is because the Giants don't have enough skill to get over mistakes. They just don't. Yeah, they don't have that type of – they don't have the playmaking to do it. Number nine on our list are the Indianapolis Colts. Now, this is you know, an interesting move. Phillip Rivers is showing something. They keep winning. Does it look pretty? No. But is football a pretty game? Yeah. Well, no. Well, if you want a real test for Indy, they're playing the Ravens this week. A real challenge for Indy, and the Ravens were already coming off a very bad loss to the Steelers. Lamar Jackson made two picks of his own. That proved very costly. Uh, so I'm going to be very curious what Ravens team is going to show up next week. Are you going to see a very angry Ravens team that will punish the Colts? Or maybe a very angry Ravens team that'll make mistakes and press. Well, this is we're going to see. We're going to see who Lamar Jackson is. This is the first bit of real adversity he's faced. These Colts score points, and they can score in any given way. And when you have Rivers who can throw the ball to a guy like Jackson who mainly runs the ball and doesn't throw it as consistently as you'd like, you definitely have some worry. It's Phillip there. Rivers can dissect the defense with surgical precision. He does throw interceptions, though. Rivers is another one of those quarterbacks that can actually get away with the turnovers he makes. Because generally, when he's making turnovers, it's because he's either been hit, the ball's been deflected, or a receiver has misrun his route. It's not because Rivers has misthrown the ball. Right now, the Colts, with their great playing, are now in first place in that AFC South. They are tied with our number eight team on the list, the Tennessee Titans. They have lost two in a row, and suddenly the Titans have begun to play a little sloppy football of late. Well, I guess they found Derrick Henry in the parking lot because his last game wasn't that great. Um, He ran for about 70 yards last week. He ran for 112, so it's not like Derrick Henry didn't didn't do his part. But Derrick Henry also, like – there are certain types of yards that are impactful and then there are other types of yards that aren't Henry Henry was getting shut down at key points that's the difference the other key when is it was third the, down when it was third key, down where was Henry the other where was key is this also this is another key of him that I think is a concern Derrick Henry doesn't really catch the ball out of the backfield as much you don't really see Tannehill throw the ball to Henry and usually on any passing plays Henry's not on the field for that which is very interesting I don't know about that. I mean, you don't see him as much on the field for passing plays, like particularly for third and sevens. You don't always see Henry there because they don't necessarily like him as a blocker on third down. That's yeah. why they want to preserve him for downs one and two. He's a but two Henry down could, back. But if Henry could learn how to be a good a running back that can catch the ball out of the backfield, not just run it, my, how much of a weapon that makes him even more? It makes him a, a, a dual threat. I understand that, but the one. I kind of get what the Titans are doing with Henry. They're putting him out for two downs. They're letting him pound the football. And then they're letting him go get a breath because they don't want to injure him. They don't want to overuse him. If you put him in too many situations and give him too many touches, you're going to have him break down faster. Derrick Henry is the Titans best player. They've built the franchise around him. This is obvious. So you can't let your franchise player not do what he's supposed to do on the field, which is, pound the football and break down defensive lines that that's his job and he does it very very well he's not a back that needs to go out of the backfield you need to however find the you need to however get Tannehill on track because if Tannehill is missing the backs that he does have on third down well 
Titans are going to have an interesting matchup next week when they play the Bears. So they're going to play Chicago next week. That should be uh, – Bears are coming off a rough loss to the Saints. In I think that's a get-fat game for the Bears. I think the Bears could beat the Titans. I think the Bears' defense is better than the Titans, and I think Nick Foles is a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. Well, we're going to – that should be a very interesting matchup. We'll see who comes out of that next week. Number seven, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are number seven on the list. Look, um – Todd Bowles' defense should have given up 14 more points than they did. Yes. There were two interceptions that should have been touchdowns for the Giants because, like we said last segment, both of those picks by Jones were go-routes by Slayton where Slayton had the man beat and Jones didn't even look in that direction. The Bucks should have lost this game. Brady did not have one of his better performances, but here's but you want to know the difference between Tom Brady when he makes mistakes and uh, other quarterbacks. When Tom Brady makes mistakes, he's making mistakes by checking down, he's taking hits, he's throwing balls away, he's giving up on plays. When quarterbacks like Daniel Jones give up on plays, they're trying to force plays, they're trying to make things happen that shouldn't that aren't there. And then you see picks and interceptions and fumbles and the like. Brady knows how to limit his mistakes. And when he needed to, he got the drives. That's, that's what the greatest of all time does. Definitely. And as you look at the, uh, the way this offense – and you, as you look at how the Buccaneers' offense keeps playing, and, you know, listen, it's – Having Gronk there is big. If Leonard Fournette gets going along with Ronald Jones, that, that look how many weapons Brady will have. The Buccaneers are only getting better, and Antonio Brown is coming back in about another couple of weeks. I'll give you one other thing. According to reports, he walked into camp in perfect playing shape. He is now living with Tom Brady. Good. He is eating like Tom Brady, working out like Tom Brady. Ooh. I really hope he – look, I want to I see Antonio Brown succeed. I mean, at one point, this guy was one of the, one of the great wide receivers in the game. Still is. And You're going to see it. Well, let's see. Are we going to see the Steelers-Brown on the Bucs? Are we going to see that Antonio Brown again that was getting 10, 11 catches a game for 150-plus yards a game? If we're yeah, going He's going to get five for about 100 and split the load with Mike Evans. I could be a. Well, That's all he needs to do. He doesn't need to be the guy here. Well, it gives Brady, it just gives Brady that much more punch to throw the ball to, and it's going to make the Bucks more dangerous. And they're going to play. The NFC South is on the line this week. Bucks play New Orleans. And if Drew Brees was watching that giant game, let me tell you something. He saw a weakness in that Tampa secondary, and he's going to try to exploit it. Oh, definitely. We'll see. It should be a very interesting matchup next week. Number six on our top ten are the Baltimore Ravens. They've dropped quite a bit from where they were in the top five. Now they're in the bottom. Now they're in the bottom. Well, straight up, we saw what happened in the Pittsburgh game. We've seen what has happened in the Kansas City game. When it's time for them to play elite opponents, they fold. Their two losses were to the two best teams in the AFC. And period. And the Ravens have regressed. They aren't as good as they were last year. 
Their offense is more predictable. Everybody now knows what Lamar Jackson can and can't do. And the point totals that the Ravens are putting up week by week show you exactly the situation that the Ravens offense is in. Not saying Lamar Jackson's a bad quarterback. He's not. He just has to get a little better at pocket passing. Chris brought up this note. It was a little better. Chris brought up this note. It was very interesting. The Ravens are in the bottom five in passing yards, which is correct. They're basically about 30th in the league in passing, which is scary. And they're only built, they're built to have a lead, but they are not built to come back. That's a scary sign. If, if, so if the Ravens, if you can get a lead on the Ravens early, that basically can kill any momentum they have of coming back in a game. And Lamar Jackson, with his, uh, with his recent struggles of late, do you feel confident the Ravens fall behind 17-0 early? Do you think the Ravens can come back and win a game with that? No. If they fall behind 17-0, they're done. If they play a team like the Chiefs and the Chiefs punch them in the mouth, put them down 14 and nothing, the Ravens are in a very, very terrible position to come back. That means Lamar Jackson then has to throw. And when, even when Lamar Jackson seems to have to throw, he doesn't throw. That's just not the way the Ravens are built. That's why they're dropping lower and lower on this list. Number five on our list. We'll see if the Ravens can bounce back. They play Indy this Sunday. Number five on our list, the Arizona Cardinals. They made it into the top five, and I think very rightly so. Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and, on, and their defense with Cliff Kingsbury has been just – it's been a thrill to watch. The Cardinals really have <clears throat> done to show the world just how dangerous of a team they really can be in that NFC West. They are the third best team in the NFC as we speak today. I believe that the Cardinals are going to make noise in the postseason. I think the Cardinals and the Seahawks are both going to be there. Mm -hmm. This NFC West is super competitive, and all of the teams have advantages and disadvantages to them, even the 49ers. Well, the Niners now the Niners have, are, are, have really begun to slip again. And now to make matters worse, George Kittle's out for eight weeks with a broken foot. And you've got a quarterback controversy Garoppolo about out, Garoppolo's hurt again with that ankle. Garoppolo's just not been the same since having that ankle injury. So he's sitting again. He got benched for the second game in three weeks. So if there's not concern in San Fran, I think you better start getting a little concerned about the quarterback situation with the Niners now. It's getting very, very evident every week. Maybe Garoppolo could be on his way out. Maybe. Um, look, it wouldn't be the first time that yeah. uh, Belichick was wrong about a quarterback. Well, at one point, Garoppolo <laughs> looked like he was the automatic guy. He was going to carry that Niners team. He got him to the Super Bowl last year. It's amazing how, how a team can fall right after you make the Super Bowl and don't win shows you exactly how important it was for the New England dynasty that Robert Kraft told Belichick to re-sign Tom Brady and trade Jimmy Garoppolo. History is going to look back and say that that was a turning point in the dynasty that got them their last two Super Bowls. Moving on to number four, and speaking of New England, the very team that beat them for the first time in seven meetings, the Buffalo Bills are now number four on the top ten. I'll give Buffalo credit. They did have a little bit of a period where they struggled for a couple of weeks, but they they did manage to win two big games. You know, they were had their backs against the wall a little bit. I know they didn't score a touchdown when they beat the Jets, but they did have to. Are they really better than the Cardinals? 
I don't really? know about that. I really don't. Uh, no, they're not better than the Cardinals. I'm sorry. They're okay. Not. Okay. Their defense, their defense is still shaky. They did allow Cam Newton to nearly win the game last week. And if it had been for a fumble, the, New England was going to win that game. They were that close. And Cam is closer, and Cam is looking better, and Cam is looking healthier. And if Buffalo lost that game, they wouldn't even be on this top ten list right now. So I don't, I don't see how they're a number four position. Number three, yeah, that's very interesting. Number three on our list, Kansas City. One yeah. point we were number two, and now they're they're dropping a little bit, but still, as long as you have Patrick Mahomes, it really does not matter. The they team, are the second best team in the AFC. They are the second best team in the AFC, in my opinion. They have so much versatility. Patrick Mahomes has thrown 21 touchdowns to, like, what? Two interceptions? That's, like, about it. He's barely – he has barely made a mistake this year. And it, just coming off winning a Super Bowl, Mahomes looks even better than he did last year. It's scary what this Chiefs team is capable of doing every single week to opponents. It really yep. is. It is. And by the way, um, there is an omission on this top 10 list that I feel is the second best team in the NFC. Look, I know Green Bay lost a bad game to Minnesota, but that's a division rival. Those are always trap games, even in a division where the New England Patriots dominated for years and years and years. Every once in a while, the Dolphins or the Jets, the Bills would pull off a win on them. I mean, you can't take Green. You can't tell me Green Bay isn't the second best team in the NFC. Well, Green Bay also, though, in the couple of losses you've seen, not having Aaron Jones in the lineup, I think, is a very glaring sign. You need Aaron Jones. You saw also Mason Crosby was hurt. They didn't kick a field goal with Crosby. They were afraid of having him kick a field goal because he's hurt. And a couple of fourth down plays where it would have been field goals, they didn't convert on them. And Rodgers had to play catch-up for the entire game, and that cost Green Bay, period. Yeah. They had a bad week. They were injured. Yeah. Can't throw them off the top ten list because they lost to a division rival. But I'll tell you what, and the, the number two team on our top ten, they didn't even have a running back. They only had one running back healthy all the, all, the whole night yesterday, the Seahawks. They're number two yep. on the list. And yet, hey, I got Russell Wilson throwing me five touch, four touchdowns. I got DK Metcalf. I have – I have Lockett. It does not matter if we don't have a running game. Russell Wilson is our running game, and he's yeah. our rushing game, period. Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in the league right now, and he's going to win MVP this year. And I think Seattle, it's almost a foregone conclusion that Seattle's going to the Super Bowl. The right. only team that might be able to stop them, there's two. One of them's in their division in the Cardinals, and the other one is Green Bay. Now, I read this piece about Wilson. It was very interesting. He trains. 363 days a year. He trains heavily. He ha he wants to he also like Brady, he already said he wants to play till 45 years old. He trains, he has hyperbaric chambers that he trains in. He has he spends a million dollars just to get his body in shape. Cuz that's his job. His job is to be in perfect condition so that he could go on the field and perform. Not many quarterbacks, though, commit a million dollars a year to doing that every year. Brady, yeah, Rob, Brady will do it. I'm sure – I know Aaron, I'm sure, does. And Roethlisberger. I'm sure Roethlisberger does, and I'm sure Patrick Mahomes does. With the money he's getting, I would think – I would expect nothing less of Patrick Mahomes. I'm sure he's been doing that since he was a kid off of the money that his father made. I'm sure he knew from young what to do. 
Well, DK, that's the thing. The Mahomes family is an athletic family. DK Metcalf was certainly keeping himself in shape. I can tell you that. His father was a lineman for the Bears. Yep. You see, the athletes that make the money, they reinvested into themselves and their bodies so they can keep using them to cash those paychecks. That's the thing that some of these younger athletes who feel that they are entitled to greatness uh, don't understand. Are they willing? And Cadillac Williams said this, says this to college kids. He's a college coach now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. He says this to college kids that go to him and say, I want to play in the league. He says, well, only about 0.5% of all the people in college are going to actually be able to have a career in the NFL longer than two years. Are you willing to do everything it takes to keep your body in this specific type of shape? That's the first question he asks. And they all say yes. And then within a few weeks, he's fine. he finds out who's actually really willing to do it and who's going to be on the bench next year. And you see the receivers that take that seriously as well as the quarterbacks that do. And I, so I mentioned, yeah, so Metcalf's another guy, keeps himself in good shape every year. He was pressing uh, – he was working out at, at like as a young kid, barely like seven years old. He was, he was lifting weights already at a young age. He – again – being the son of a NFL lineman, his father was. Uh, I'm going to take a look. It was Lawrence. I believe it was Lawrence Metcalf. That was his. Uh, yes. That was his father. A long time. Uh, I mean, a long time great lineman. So, the, yeah, long time great lineman with the Chicago Bears. But so we'll get to the number one team on this list. Uh, Terrence Metcalf. There we go. Ter- uh, sorry, Terrence Metcalf. That was the name. Terrence. Uh, Terrence Metcalf. Okay, yeah, great, great lineman for the Bears. But now to the number one team on our list. The only undefeated team left in the, the league. Steelers, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Chris had said, well, it's time for the Steelers to prove themselves. Can they beat the Ravens? Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers are back. And not only is it Ben Roethlisberger that's back, it's their defense that's, that's back. That's defense is back. Absolutely. Mike Tomlin has these guys playing like gangbusters, and the Steelers have now gotten even more reinforcements from the Jets. Yes, Avery Williamson went over to the Jets. And I believe they got another person as well, the Steelers. Yeah, I, I forgot which one that was, but another – but um, but Avery they picked up a, they picked up a going to be big. Yeah, but they picked up a couple of people so far, the Steelers' defense. Uh, the Steelers have retooled, just like every other team in their division seems to have retooled. Um, Steeler ownership, they want to win. The Roonies don't like failure. They want to win. And Ben Roethlisberger is the best quarterback in that division. I mean, he's still one of the top five quarterbacks in the game. People wondered how was he going to be coming off of that injury. Big Ben is still Big Ben. There's nobody else that plays like him in the NFL. The Steelers are going to have the Cowboys coming up next. Oh, well. There's I can a already tell game. you, and I can already tell you, no Andy Dalton, he's on the IR. So it's going to be that kid Danucci, and he's going to – I hope he uh, I hope he said a, a prayer. I hope he said a prayer, and I hope he said plenty of prayers before you play the Steelers. If you go against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense and you're Danucci and you manage to pull off a – forget play well, but pull off a win – for Mr. Danucci, I hope he said a few prayers. Yeah, he needs them. Before you enter the Big D, knowing that the Steelers are on the other side of that ball, and they're not afraid to rip someone's head off. Well, um, one or two things is going to happen. Either Danucci is going to have the game of his life, 
of his career against the Pittsburgh Steelers and put himself on the map in the NFL, or Dallas is going to have to get their practice squad and sign a quarterback because this poor kid's going to be mangled. Yes. Well, we're going to find out, you know, we're going to find out very, very soon. But right now, the teams are beginning to separate themselves from the pack. We're beginning to see that separation happening. And as we get to, I'd say, about the 10th week, we're really going to know who the contenders are, who's the playoff team that we need to look out for, who could make a surprise, maybe squeak on in there. We'll find all that out and more very soon. I want to thank Chris for our top 10. That is our top 10 for today. We'll have another one next week, as we do every week. But for right now, that's going to wrap up this edition of Downtown Sports. I want to thank Chris for our top 10, for our producers, Tony Mainville, as well as Chris, our statistician. We will have Wayne Randazzo here to join us next week discussing the Mets under the new ownership now of Steve Cohen. Where will the Mets be heading? Will they spend in this offseason? Are they going to become a contender again? And also, we need you guys to look out tomorrow as well because we're going to be releasing another episode this week, a special election week special where we focus on Division Three NCAA. We're going to talk to the head coach of the Brooklyn College men's basketball team, Jeffrey DeJean-Baptiste, and then we are going to speak to the assistant director of Brooklyn College Athletics, as well as the coach of the Brooklyn College women's basketball team, Mr. Alex Lang, the most charismatic guy I know. You're going to want to check that interview out tomorrow. Beast, where can they hear us? We're on 10 different platforms. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, CastBox, and Bullhorn. 10 different platforms, 10 different places to hear us every Tuesday, Wednesday, rants and live episodes every single week. Please do not miss out. Please tune in for our next show next week with Wayne Randazzo and our next show before that with the coaches from our alma mater at Brooklyn College. It should be very, very exciting. We're going to find out what's going on with Division Three college sports. We know what's going on with NCAA Division One, but what about D2 and D3? We're going to find that out tomorrow. Stay tuned. But for the mouth of the South, John Cervoni, for Crystal Large, for Anthony Mainville, and our entire staff, I'm the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente, saying goodbye. We out.